0: The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith Hill, that's who we are. Today I'm going to be talking about Stop the Fear. Because really, we need to stop the fear from limiting and stopping what God wants to do in our lives. We need to stop letting false evidence appear real from stopping God's plan for our lives. Amen. And so there's really a story in Matthew 14, um, 20, verse 22. And it's quite cool because it's really the classic example of how fear works against faith. So let's go there quickly. We're going to read it in the King James Version. That's Matthew 14. we We're going to read verses 22, maybe to 30, if time permits. Okay? And so it says, And straight away Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Next verse. And then it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Verse 24 says, but the ship was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Mm-hmm. Now that word contrary is just fancy King James English to say that the wind was blowing against the ship. So what we find is when the disciples were going across, going into the sea to cross over to go to the other side, they, they encountered a storm. I don't know why I'm always talking about the storms. But anyway, this is another storm that they encountered, right? Verse 25 says, "And in the fourth night of the watch, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea." And it says, "And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Man they said, "It is a spirit," and they cried out for fear." But straight away Jesus spake unto them, and he said, "Be of good cheer." In other words, be happy, right? Hmm. He said, "It is I. Be not afraid." Do you see that be not afraid? And then in verse 28, it says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it bid thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Verse 29, and it said, and he said, in other words, Jesus said, Jesus said to Peter, come. Let's just stop right there. I just want to kind of paint the pictures of what was happening here, right? So the disciples were in a boat. They were going across the sea and they encounter a storm. They were quite afraid, right? But in the middle of all of this, they'd see Jesus walking on the water and they thought he was ghost. So you can only imagine how much their fear tripled, right? And so they started crying out of fear. But one of them, Peter, I mean, he was courageous enough to say something, right? And he said to the Lord, Lord Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come towards you walking on water. Man, and Jesus said, come. Now, I want to point two things out from really that word come. The first one that I want to point out is when Jesus said come, in essence, what it meant is that Peter had God's absolute permission to defy natural laws and to walk on water. The second thing is embedded in that word come was all the ability, all the supernatural ability that Peter would ever need to walk on water towards Jesus. Amen. So let's see what happens next. The same verse. So it says, and Jesus said, come. And then it says, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, man, he walked on water to go To Jesus. Man, as Peter focused on that one word, come, as Peter focused on Jesus, he was supernaturally enabled to do what Jesus had commanded him to do. And so he walked on water. Now, it's always very interesting to note, there were actually 12 people in that boat, right? I truly believe that all 12 of them heard Jesus say, come. But only one of them decided to step out and walk towards Jesus. And, And really, this is what was happening, church. The book of Romans, Romans 10, verse 17, it says faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes how? By the word of God. Well, fear comes by hearing too, right? But instead, fear comes by hearing the lies of the enemy. And so what I believe is the 11, while they heard Jesus say come, they let the voice of fear drown out the voice of Jesus. In other words, what they chose is they chose fear over faith. And because they chose fear over faith, I mean, man, fear completely paralyzed them. And fear caused them to miss out on this truly miraculous event of walking on water. Peter chose differently. Well, at least in that instance. Most of you know the story and you know how it ends, right? In this instance... Peter chose differently. Peter chose to amplify the voice of Jesus really over the voice of fear. And because he did that, he walked on water. Man, he performed the supernatural. Well, let's read then what happens next. Verse 30. Verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, bad move Peter. It says he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And suddenly things changed. You know, suddenly, Peter chose to take his word off Jesus, chose to take his word off the word of Jesus, and he began, well, his focus off the word of, of, of Jesus, and he began to focus on his circumstances. Man, he began to focus on the storms. And as a result, I mean, he chose fear over faith and he began to sink. You know, if there's one thing that we need to know, it's really that fear is absolutely irrational. Because the question we need to ask ourselves is, what does strong wind and stormy, turbulent waters have to do with a human being walking on water? Nothing, right? And I believe if Peter had really thought about it, now if Peter truly like applied his mind to this, he would have realized that he could not possibly have walked on water in his natural abilities, even if there was a clear blue sky, you know, even if there was not a drop of wind in the water. Man, uh, Peter let the waves, he let the false evidence appearing real, trick him into amplifying the voice of fear of amplifying the voice of Jesus. And, you know, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're saying to yourself, Man, I, I I can't really understand this. You know, I've never been in a physical storm. So I can't really understand, you know, these options and how I can be fearful of a of a physical storm. Well, here's the truth. Fear is very subtle. And fear has so many faces. Fear can present itself in so many ways. You know, as I was just studying um, uh, this, this topic on fear, you know, I came across some really interesting fears. You know, there's people who are afraid have fear of failure. You know, there are people who are so afraid of making decisions that they just cannot decide. They cannot make a decision and move forward with their lives. You know, there are also people who are fe- 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 fearful of leading. You now, people are fearful of leading in the church. People are fearful of leading in their businesses. And you know, I'm Pastor Tafari, and I counsel a lot of married couples. People are afraid to lead, even in their marriages. You know, people we hear their stories and we hear you know we can hear the problems people are letting their children run the marriages you know husbands some husbands are letting their wives run the marriages why because they're afraid of leading and some people are fear afraid of rejection there's fear of rejection now this one resonates with me so much because my parents used to travel around a lot when we were much younger and so I have the dubious record of having attended three different primary schools in three different countries between the ages of 5 and 11. Yeah. And so because I was so afraid of what people would think about me, I really wanted to be liked. I became a people pleaser. And I mean, I'd bend over backwards to do some really crazy things that I would never do in my life. All because I was afraid of rejection. Well, thank God I've been delivered from that now. But there's also fear of rejection. There's also fear of flying. Man, there's fear of lack. You know, people who are afraid of lack are perpetually stressed about bills. (laughs) You know, the number one reason why people backstab each other in the marketplace is because they are afraid that they're not going to make enough. They're afraid that they're going to lack in their lives. People are afraid of lack. Now, people are afraid of public speaking. Man, people are afraid of sickness, fear of diving, fear of driving. There's fear of leaving the house. Man, there are so many fears. But the bottom line is the Bible is very clear about its position on fear. The Word of God is very, very clear on its position about fear. And we find in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul actually has something really interesting to say about fear but really most importantly, what, where fear is not from. And so let's go quickly to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. And Before we read the scripture, I just want to set a bit of background as to what was happening when Peter was, when Paul, is sorry, was encouraging his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. So now, a, a lot of biblical scholars say, you know, this period in time when the book of, uh, when Second Timothy, or the, the second letter to Timothy was written, Timothy was facing probably one of the biggest mountains in his life. I mean, the the early church was under so much fire and so much persecution. Mm. And really, the reason is because Nero had just become the emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, Nero was insane. If there's a, anyone who, a, a de- definition of insanity Man Nero was insanity personified. I don't have much time to go into detail about his insanity. But some of the things that he did was he, he killed his own mother. I mean, Nero wasn't afraid to kill anyone who challenged his rule and challenged his word and authority. I mean, Nero was a dictator. Nero was a tyrant. People were so scared of Nero. I mean, there was one story because Nero thought he was actually, Nero actually didn't want to be an emperor. emperor. He actually wanted to be a musician. And so he would subject his subjects to like lengthy poetic nights of music, music, right? And there was a story that was told that people were so afraid to leave his performances that there was a a pregnant mother who actually gave birth in the performance because she was so afraid of getting beheaded. That's how insane Nero was, okay? (laughs) And so the, the, the story goes on to say, well, the historians go on to say that around AD 64, when the the second letter to Timothy was written, there were these fires that had um, spread across Rome. And these fires had destroyed three quarters of the city and devastated the population economically. And so this insane Nero, in the middle of all of this devastation, he decides on a good idea. He says, I'm going to build myself the biggest palace known to mankind. And so he builds this temple, this palace. And of course, at that point, his people had had enough. And they started becoming quite vocal um, about their dissatisfaction with the emperor. And so some, some of the people started accusing him of actually having started the fires, right? And so Nero, in his attempt to deflect the blame, decides to use the Christians as a scapegoat. And as he uses the Christians as a scapegoat, he embarks on the biggest mass persecution and execution of the church and believers in the most gruesome and cruel way. And so it was all of, with this whole background in mind, at this exact same time, Timothy, I mean, he was the young pastor of the church at Ephesus, a mega church, right? And it was around this time that people were leaving the church in their droves, and the people were, people were scared, of, people were getting persecuted, right? So people were be defecting from, from their faith. And so really, if there was anyone who had a real opportunity and perhaps a real reason to fear, it was probably Timothy. I mean, Timothy was probably very fearful about his own life. I mean, here he was, pastor of a big mega church. He was on the front line, guys. I mean, he was an easy target for Nero, right? So not only was he fearful for his own life, he was probably also fearful for his congregation's life as well as really the the life and the the church at large. And so it was with this background in mind that Timothy begins to encourage his son in the faith, Timothy. And um, Paul begins to say, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, he says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so we see right at the beginning of this passage of Scripture two very important things being revealed. The first thing that Paul says to Timothy is that fear, fear is not just a feeling. man. Fear is a spirit. The second thing he says is that it is not from God. Now, people in the world say a little fear is good for you. But my my question really is, if it's not from God, can it ever be good for you? If it's not from God, it can never be good for you. Amen? So we must not accept any form of fear in our lives. In the Amplified Classic translation of 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, Paul says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. And so really to fear is to be timid. And the Amplified Classic starts to define what this timidity is, right? It says, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. Now, these are words that we don't use much in our vocab in the 21st century, Right? So I decided to look up these words and look up synonyms or words that are similar in meaning to cowardice, craven, cringing, fawning, fear. And some of the words that I I came across was was words like servile, you know, words like subservient, words like beggarly, or really obedient. And ultimately, this is what the spirit of fear wants to do in our lives. The spirit of fear wants to make you subservient to it. You know, the spirit of fear wants to make all of us obedient to its suggestions. The spirit of fear wants to control us. The spirit of fear wants to be the boss. And it wants to be the boss, really, by defining the boundaries of our lives and telling us where we can go, where we can't go, what we can do, what we cannot do. Man, fear is not from God. And so we should never entertain it and accept it in our lives. So today, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be learning today how to stop letting fear intimidate us, how to stop letting fear dominate and control our lives. And so Peter, if you can go back, oh sorry, Paul, why do I keep saying Peter? Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, if we can go back to the King James Version, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, right? But instead, he's given us a spirit, right? Because he's talking about the spirit. So the context then of the next part of the verse is he's talking about a spirit as well. So God has not given us a spirit or this spirit of fear, but what he's given us is he's given us a spirit of of power and of love and of a sound mind. Man, I wanna submit to you that a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind really is wrapped up in one spirit. And that spirit is the Holy Spirit. And so what we begin to see in this passage of scriptures, we begin to see three distinct characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Man, this is good. The first characteristic we see is that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power that word power is the word dunamis. Dunamis, I like that. From which we get the English word dynamite. But the dunamis also means divine ability. And so the Holy Spirit is a spirit that gives us divine ability to help us do the things that God is calling us to do. And so really, I believe what Paul was encouraging Timothy in this passage of scripture, and really that what Paul is encouraging all of us today, is that we don't have to be afraid, guys, of being ill-equipped or inadequate. Because God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us all the divine ability all the dunamis power to handle any type of situation that may come our way so that we can do those things that God is calling us to do. You know, Pastor Tafari always says this, but some of the things that God is calling us to do, it's going to be well beyond our natural strengths. It's going to be well beyond our natural abilities. But thank God we haven't been left alone in our natural abilities because God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us a spirit of power, dunamis power, divine ability to get those things that we need to get done done. Amen. So not only is the Holy Spirit a spirit of power, but the Holy Spirit is also a spirit of love. And we're going to find out a little bit later on, but First John 4, says, perfect love casts out fear. Amen. Thank you. So when we receive God's love for us, and truly a revelation of God's love for us can only come by the Holy Spirit. But when we receive this revelation of how much God loves us, then that will completely destroy fear in our lives. Amen. And so not only is the Holy Spirit a spirit of power, not only is the Holy Spirit a spirit of love, but the Holy Spirit is also a spirit of a sound mind. Come on. Now that sound mind, or that word sound mind, just means discipline. Many people don't like discipline. But I'm here to tell you that discipline is your friend, not your enemy. And so really, what we see here is God has given us a mind that can be disciplined by the Holy Spirit to think on the Word of God. In other words, we have the capacity to discipline our minds to focus on the Word of God at all times. And so this, guys, this scripture was really an encouragement. And let this scripture be an encouragement to you too, that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind that will help us to live a life without fear. Man, that's pretty cool. Well, other scriptures, let's look at other scriptures that bear witness to the truth about fear and really what fear comes with. Let's go to Romans 8 verse 15. We read it again in the King James. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so what the scripture is saying is simply when we were born again, what we didn't receive was the spirit of bondage again to fear. What we did receive was we received the spirit of adoption. Man, we received the spirit of sonship. Because we have received the spirit of sonship, we can call the God our father the father, man, we can call him daddy. Yeah. Also, what we see here is really as a child of God, the spirit of fear which produces bondage, it's not even a characteristic of our born-again spirits. right? It's not even part of who we are as born-again children of God. And so what is that word bondage? Because, because really what we see is we see fear produces bondage. Well, I looked up that word bondage. The Webster's Dictionary says to be in bondage is a condition of being involuntarily subject to a power, a force, or an influence. And this is what happens when we yield to the spirit of fear. Against our will, we become subject to the negative influence of the enemy. Next scripture, Hebrews 2, um, verses 14 to 15. Again, I'm sharing with you scriptures, we just want to expose fear, we want to expose fear for what it is, but we're going to get to some really cool tips on how we can begin to stop the fear in our lives. Hebrews 2, verse 14 to 15, it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. In other words, what the scripture is saying is Jesus also became flesh and blood like us. Jesus also became a man when he was born, right? And why is that? Well, the scripture answers and it says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. The next verse says, and deliver them who through fear of death, because really the ultimate fear of fears is fear of death, Mm -hmm. fear of dying. Mm -hmm. But it says, and Jesus came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Man, again, we see that bondage, originates from faith. Bondage comes from, bondage originates from fear. You know, bondage comes from fear. And any type of fear, regardless of really how insignificant it may seem to you, I mean, it's going to put you in bondage. But church, here's the good news. You know, Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews um, 2, 14 to 15, the scriptures that we've just read, they say that Jesus became a man. Jesus became a man and he died. So that through his death, he could number one, destroy him who had the power of death by dying jesus destroyed the devil man that's something worthy of shouting about you know in order to really get the gravity of that we need to really understand that word destroy and that word destroy comes from the greek word katages, which means to paralyze or to deactivate and it's it's really similar to those movies about superheroes right the superhero he finds the bomb and he deactivates that bomb. What is he doing? He's rendering that bomb ineffective and harmless against the people that he's trying to that it's trying to kill, right? You can tell I like superhero movies. But anyway, well Jesus, Jesus, who I believe is the superhero of superheroes, I mean he completely paralyzed, he completely deactivated Satan so that he could be rendered harmless and ineffective against us. That's good news. But the second thing the scripture says is that because the devil's now been deactivated, because the devil has now been paralyzed, we have been completely and absolutely delivered from fear and its bondage. Amen. And so as a child of God, what we see from this passage of scripture is fear has no more power over you except really the power that you give it. You know, what we see here from, the, from this passage of Scripture is that fear has no more power to put you into bondage unless you want to be held in bondage. You know, fear has no more power to restrict you. And fear has no more power to stop you unless you let fear stop you. And so the question you're probably asking this morning is how do I let, How do I stop letting fear stop me? You know, how, how do I stop fear? How do I overcome fear in my life? Well, I'm about to share with you four keys. I think I'll do four. Is the time permitting? I'll do four. Four keys, really, that I've um, implemented in my life. The first key, if you're taking that notes, is know that God is with you. Mm. Know that God is with you. Mm. There's a scripture, Isaiah 41, verse 10, in the Amplified Classic. It says, fear not. Mm. And in brackets, it says, there is nothing to fear. And I remember when I first came across the scripture, I remember asking the Holy Spirit, I was like, why, why is there nothing to fear, Lord? And, of course, as always, the Lord says, keep reading. (laughs) There is nothing to fear because God is saying, I am with you. Man, God is saying this morning that he is with you. He says, don't look around you in terror and be dismayed. He says, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Man, God is going to strengthen you. God says, I will harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of rightness and justice. You know, this passage of scripture profoundly changed my life. You know, when I realized that God was not only for me, but that God was with me each and every single second of the day, then it changed. It was a game changer for me. You know, it was a game changer for me to say yes to God and whatever God had called me to do. And really we've begun to see as God has begun to really promote us in ministries with greater responsibility, meditating on scriptures like this has really been such a source of strength such a source of an encouragement to me and to and to Pastor Tafara, in knowing that with the additional responsibilities that God was giving us, He wasn't just gonna leave us on our own. I mean, He wasn't just gonna abandon us to just make a plan. No, God was gonna be right there with us, holding our hands at all times, guiding us, strengthening us, and really just helping us. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Elsa in the Amplified says, be strong, courageous, and firm. It says, Fear not nor be in terror before them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. you. Man, God is going with you. Wherever God is calling you to go, he is going with you. It says he will not fail you. God will not fail you. Nor will he forsake you. And this is so important. Whatever God is calling you to do, and know that you're not alone. Amen. 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 The next key, is really this, know that you're loved. Know that you're loved. For for many years, I taught in the kids' church. At Faith Hills Church, we call them kids' crew. Um, and I particularly love the threes to sixes. So hands up my threes to sixes. I wanna give you a high five. Of course we love the rest of you too. <laughs> but I used to teach um, kids' crew and I loved the threes to sixes because every day um, that I was on duty, just before we were about to teach our lesson, I'd make them sing this song. It's a song called Jesus Loves Me, right? I'm sure you've all heard about it, right? But what we, 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 we would remix it a bit, right? You'd shake it up a little bit. And instead of singing, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so, we'd actually insert the child's name into the song. And so the song would go something like this. We'd say, yes, Jesus loves Kayla. Yes, Jesus loves Tinaya. Yes, Jesus loves Ethan. The Bible tells me so. And we go round and round. If we had 15 kids in the class, man, we'd say all their names. And of course, they would insist that, yes, Jesus loves teacher. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Man, what I love so much is seeing the children's faces light up when they heard their name. Man, the children just know that Jesus just doesn't love everyone. Jesus loves them personally. And so this morning I'm here to say Jesus loves you is not a song that's relegated to kids' church. Jesus doesn't just love Kayla. Jesus doesn't just love Tenaya. Jesus doesn't just love t- uh, Ethan or Teacher. Whatever your name is, whoever you are, Jesus loves you too. man. God, He's Absolutely, 100% crazy in love with you. Amen. Amen. 1 John 4 verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love. It says, but perfect loves cast out fear. Why? Because fear, guys, fear is torment. The Message Bible says fear, fear is crippling. Then it says, he that fears, he's not made perfect in love. You know, the this, this scripture is not talking about our love for God being made perfect. What the scripture is really talking about is when we come to know, when we come to be intimately acquainted with God's perfect love for us, then fear is literally cast out of our lives. You know, when we get a revelation of how so very much God wants to provide for us, When we get a revelation of how so very much God wants to take care of us, how so very much God wants us well, not only in our bodies, but in our businesses, in our marriages, in our relationships, when we get this revelation, then really, church, there's never any reason to fear. Of course, the flip side is true. When we find ourselves to be afraid, and again, I'm speaking to myself here. I'm preaching to myself, guys. When I find myself being fearful, when I find myself being afraid, all that it's really revealing to me is that I don't know how much God loves me. And so the question you're probably asking is, how do I know that God loves me? How do we know that God loves us? You know, for a very long time, I used to base, um, I I, I used to think um, that my circumstances or my feelings the way in which I could determine if God loves me. And, And typically what would happen is if I was feeling good or if my things were going well in my life, you know, then I was settled that God loves me. But when things were not going well, when I wasn't feeling good, then really I started to challenge God's love for me. Really, I started to doubt God's love for me. But how many of you know that it is the wrong barometer? C- circumstances and feelings are the wrong barometer to judge, to judge God's love for you. God's love for you can never be judged by what you're going through. God's love for you can never be judged by how you're feeling. Yeah. The love of God for you, the love of God for me, is demonstrated by one thing and truly one thing alone. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. The cross is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. The cross is the unfailing demonstration that God loves you. Amen. Romans 5 verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, man, Christ died for us. When we hated God, he loved us. You know, when we rejected God, he loved us. When we did nothing to earn or deserve God's love, he loved us, church. Not because of us, but in spite of us. 1 John 3, verse 16. and says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So again, here's how we perceive the love of God for us, because Jesus laid his life down for us on the cross. Right. And so again, we see that God's love for us is not determined by our circumstances, church. It's not determined by our feelings. It's demonstrated by Jesus and the cross of Jesus. Amen. Amen last scripture, First John 4 verse 9. And I'm like, I'm putting these scriptures out to you. There's so many more of these scriptures, right? But really, you know, search them out. But as you meditate them on, on them, church, really, you know, let the Holy Spirit reveal um, God's immense and immeasurable love for, for you as a person and as an individual. First John 4 verse 9, it says, in this was manifested the love of God. In other words, this is how the love of God was manifested towards us. It says, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And so how do we know that God loves us? How do we experience the love of God? By focusing on the finished work of Jesus. By focusing on what Jesus did for us on the cross and when we put our faith in the finished work man then practically the love of god is just released in your healing practically the love of god is just released in your provision in your relationships and in your lives and so we really need to make a decision that we're going to stop letting fear rule our lives and how do we do this we do this by looking at the cross you know we do this by looking at jesus And of course, if this fails, what do we do? We keep looking at Jesus, right? And if that fails, we keep on looking at Jesus, amen? (laughs) But really, the truth is, when you know how much God loves you, you'll never entertain another fearful thought in your life, amen? The third key is begin to use your authority to take a stand and actively resist fear. James 4 verse 7, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so we learn two things, right? When it comes to fear, the first thing we need to do is we need to submit to what the word of God has to say about fear. We learned in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 that fear doesn't even come from God. And so if fear doesn't come from God, it doesn't belong in our lives. And so once we've submitted ourselves to what the word of God has to say about fear, we then resist fear in our lives. Now, resist is really a military term, which means to actively fight against, means to hold your ground. Amen. And when we resist fear in our lives, well, we know what happens. The scripture says, fear will flee from us. Amen. You know, we've got two daughters. Tinaya, she's five. Manessu's eight now. Tinaya loves dogs. Monesu not so much. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was this dog in our complex. Um, I mean, it, was, it, was, it really was terrorizing my, 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 my sweet little girl, right? And Munesu made every excuse just to not walk past that house. Like She'd go round and round just so that she wasn't terrorized by this dog. Now, this dog was probably a little sausage dog, but it had an over-inflated ego and actually thought it was a bulldog. <laughs> and so every time it would see Munessu, man, it would howl. Hey, it would put on its aggressive bulldog face. (laughs) And one day, we were taking a walk. It was myself and my girls. Tinaya was on her little scooter, and Manessa and I were walking on our feet, right? (laughs) And so Tinaya zooms past that house, and she's like happy. She's full of joy. She's actually singing as she's scootering past that house. Of course, what she forgets or neglects to tell us is that that house that she's just scootered past the owners accidentally left the gate open. And so Manessa's looking at her thinking, oh, okay, that's be pretty cool. The gate's probably locked. Ha! Hey, let me try and run after my sister, right? And so Manessa runs after her sister. Big mistake because this uh, sausage dog wannabe bulldog comes running out at her. Man, it was furious. It put on its meanest bulldog face that day. It growled. It howled. It was fierce. Man, that day... I watched Manesu decide, enough is enough. And I watched my daughter as she looked that little bulldog wannabe dog in the eyes, and she says to that dog, my mommy said <laughs> that if I tell you to keep quiet, you're going to keep quiet. I was like, what? Proud mommy moment there. Yes, go Manesu, go Manesu, right? Man, this dog looked at her, it, ground. it, was, it was confused. Because remember I said fear wants to be your boss? Fear's not used to you being the boss. And so this dog starts growling even louder, even louder. Man, my girl put on her most authoritative voice ever. She said, leave me alone now. Man, Man, that dog, you guys, you should have seen that dog. That dog, that dog tried to howl, but then it kind of, like a little cat. And it (laughs) scuffled off away. Man, guys, let this story really just be an illustration. Man, the enemy, the devil, he's a defeated foe. The Bible says, the Bible says that he goes around like a roaring lion. He's not even a roaring lion, he's a wannabe roaring lion. He goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom to devour. Don't let yourself be devoured by fear, don't let yourself be devoured by being afraid. Actively resist. Submit yourself to the word of God. Actively resist the fear that comes into your life. Use your words, guys. Use your words. And as you actively resist fear, the Bible says it will flee from you. Amen. You have authority. You have absolutely got authority. The final, fourth key is act against your fear. You know, Joyce Ma says, just do it afraid. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to have to step out and do what God is telling you to do. Even when you feel afraid. You know, sometimes you're just going to have to face your fears head on. Sometimes you're just going to have to do it afraid. And trust that God is with you right there, holding your hand every step of the way. You know, there's a story in the book of Judges, Judges 6, as we close, um, about about Gideon. Mm -hmm. And Gideon had been commanded by God to build an altar. But before he could build this altar, he had to tear down the altar of his father's idol, Baal. Okay? And so in Judges 6, verse 27, if we can have it in the King James, it says, Then Gideon... Took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Now, what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Gideon was so afraid of his father. Gideon was so afraid of the men in the city because really, I mean, these were idol worshippers, And what Gideon was being commanded to do is he was being commanded to tear down the altars of their idols. And so, I mean, Gideon was afraid. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is Gideon went ahead and did what God commanded him to do, right? Even though he went at night when no one could see him, man, he still did what God commanded him to do. You know, we see in the middle of fear, Gideon obeyed and he acted against his fear. You know, sometimes you're just going to have to deal with fear even while you're in fear. Because the thing is, church, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is action. You know, courage is moving forward even in the very presence of fear. And sometimes you're going to have to just face your fears head on. You know, your knees may be knocking. Your voice, it may even be trembling. You know, I'm reminded of the very first time that I ever ministered to our church family. Man, for a long time, I was just afraid of what people would think. I had bought into the lies of the enemy who told me that I was not qualified to teach. I had bought into the lies of the enemy who told me that I had no business trying to teach anyone. So for many years, I said no to God. But one day I decided enough was enough. You know, one day I decided that I was—it was time to face my fears. And I remember Pastor Tafara asked me to do a 10-minute offering that day. I said yes. I think he did a double take. <laughs> I said yes, and I said yes to God. I remember I took that mic. Man, my knees were trembling. My heart was beating so fast and so loud. I actually thought I was going to pass out. I've got pictures of myself holding onto that microphone for dear life, holding onto that microphone as if my life, my very life, depended on it, right? But that day I was determined that I was going to overcome fear with faith. You know, that day I was determined that I was going to believe God. I was going to believe and trust that God would not fail me, that God would not forsake me. That God had already given me all the ability, the dunamis ability that I would need to do those things that he was calling me to do. And so I got up that day holding my mic so tightly, kind of like this. And I did it afraid. I did it afraid. And so I want to encourage someone this morning. If you believe that God has put something on your heart and you're too afraid to step out, then just do it. If you are called upon to lead, maybe you're being called upon to lead by your pastors in a much greater capacity. Maybe you're called, being called upon to lead in a much greater capacity in a serving team. Maybe maybe you're being called upon to lead a life group. You know, maybe you're being called upon to serve faithfully in someone else's ministry. And everything inside of you is saying, "I, like, I can't do this. Well, my word of encouragement to you is just do it. Just do it because the truth is, you can do whatever God tells you to do. You can do whatever God tells you to do. God has some amazing things from some of you today, God has some big doors. For some of you to walk through today. And there's some of you who've been looking at those doors for so long. You've been looking at those doors and you've been saying, I'm too young. Some of you have been looking at those doors and you've been saying, I'm a woman. But I want to encourage you today to take that step. Today marks the day that you face your fear. Today marks the day that you just do it. Okay? do it afraid, but just do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you get up on your feet? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I forgot to announce uh, our good friend Carly Terodes. She's written a brand new book called Fearless. Amen. And, and how many of you know that this, this, this message today is just not enough? You know, you need to be intentional about pursuing a fear-free life. And so resources like this are really going to help you. Teachings, listening to teachings, really, guys, it's going to help you. So I want to encourage you today, if you haven't purchased this book, it's called Fearless. It's by our good friend, Carly Terridis. We do have some books in the bookshop. Buy a book today. Buy a book for a friend, okay? Buy a book. I believe you can also buy these books online, also on the ministry, Terridis ministry website. But buy this book. But I want to share, and I want us to really just make these fearless declarations really over ourselves um, in the in the in the first service, I was led to encourage the couples, encourage the marriage couples, to really just stand in agreement together as we make these declarations over ourselves. Okay, I mean we need to be united as a couple, that we are not going to live. A life that is filled with fear anymore. Okay, and so I'm going to ask: If you're married, hold your spouse's hand. Come on, we're going to do this together as a couple. And of course, everyone, say this after me: I am who God says I am. I, am who God says I, am. I have what God says I have. I can do what He says I can do. I have all the money that I need. I have all the- all the resources, I need. All the, resources I need. All the favor I need. All the opportunity I need. All the, that need. All the, time, that need All the time that I need. To do everything, to do everything God, has me to do. God has called me to do. I do not lack, I do not lack for, inspiration. for inspiration. I do not lack for vision for I do not lack for wisdom. I do not lack for understanding. I have the mind of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the peace of God. I have the presence of God. The power of God. The ability of God. The purpose of God. And the protection of God. Working Working in my life. My My path is clear. clear. My destination destination is certain. certain. My heart heart is steadfast. steadfast. My eyes eyes are fixed. fixed. And my word word is sent. sent. Come on, someone say this. My word word is sent. sent. Because one word from God is going to change your life. So someone say, my word is sent. I am fully persuaded that he who began a good work in me will complete it. He is perfecting those things which concerns me. God is working all things together for my good. God is calling those things which be not as though they are. I believe. Therefore I receive. I receive every good thing which God has set aside for me today and forever. Come on, someone give God a big shout Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank Praise you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.